Thank you, Jessica and Michelle. May we, may the Lord take us higher and deeper as we find ourselves in Christ and leave behind the things this morning that need to be left behind. Before we get in our passage, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, you know how sometimes you go to church and you, you hate to do it, but you've got a commitment. Something came up or family or visiting, whatever it might be. You got a commitment and you got to leave early. And so in the middle of the service, no, in the middle of the sermon, as inconspicuously as possible, you gather your things and you slip out the door. Of course, I see it because I'm a pastor. I see it slipping out. But I never get to do that because I'm the pastor and I'm the one that gets walked out on. But this morning I have to leave early. So I'm going to leave in the middle of the sermon. I'm going to leave my notes up here. Kevin, you can come up and finish if you want. And I, we've got to go. But most of that is true. Actually, I do need to leave right after the sermon, not in the middle of the sermon, hopefully. Uh, but my family and a few others are going to attend a private wedding ceremony for Katie Abernathy. She's getting married this afternoon, so we have to travel to the mountains. That's why I have my little hiking shoes on. Because we're, we have to make haste. So right after this sermon, <clears throat> we will have to slip out. So please excuse us for any distraction. But we are in Matthew chapter 9. And as you know, in these chapters, Matthew uh, 8 and 9, the way he arranges his material in this gospel is he'll give an account of some miracles, three miracles. And then he gives a teaching that Jesus gave. He describes a teaching that Jesus, Jesus gave about discipleship, and then he'll describe some miracles, and then the teaching, and we're in a teaching of discipleship section. And there's some good questions asked in this session, or section, and one of the questions that the scribes asked Jesus in the last passage that we looked at was a good question, and they wanted to know, they actually asked his disciples, you know, why does your master, your rabbi, Hang out with sinners. It didn't fit into their understanding of God and the scriptures that they read and his understanding of holiness and righteousness. And what in the world is he doing hanging out with all these tax collectors and sinners? It just doesn't fit into my worldview that I have developed. And so Jesus answered that question. This morning, there's another question asked by some disciples about fasting. And so maybe we'll clear up any confusion about that this morning. And hear from the Lord. So the text is Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John, that would be John the Baptist. The disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn? As long as the bridegroom is with them, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Fair question to ask. These are John's disciples. And 
course, disciples that are hungry for God want to do things right. And they want to learn all they can about God. And they see what they were taught by John, what they were raised with. And then they see this new, this new prophet, the Messiah, the king sent from heaven, this rabbi. And his disciples are not fasting. And they want to understand, am I missing something? This is an important question. Fasting is an important part of the Bible. It's an important part of their lives. Everybody pretty much fasts. There are even days where they were required to fast and give things up. And so, why do your disciples not fast? The Old Testament was important. The New Testament was important. The early church, it was important. There's a teaching, there's a conglomeration of early church teachings called the, uh, the Didache, where they just got the doctrines together. And there was actually a little um, blurb in there, not a blurb, but a statement about fasting. So here's what they had to say. This is just first century stuff. You know, the church, it's new and they're trying to get themselves together and do things right. Live by the book. It says um, in this church manual, let not your fasts be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. But do your fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. It was interesting that in order to gain some proper identity, they read in the scriptures what Jesus said about hypocrites and doing things for the right reasons. And they don't want to be associated with that. So in the church manual, they said, we're going to fast on these days. So there's no mistake. And then John Calvin, later on in the 16th century, when it comes to fasting and his institutes, he writes this. Holy and legitimate fasting is directed to three ends. He gives three basic um, reasons for it. We practice it either as a restraint on the flesh to preserve it from licentiousness, so an abstinence, or as a preparation for prayers and pious meditations, or as a testimony of our humiliation in the presence of God when we are desirous of confessing, confessing our guilt before him. So maybe as a preparation to show God and even ourselves how desirous we are for answered prayer or to connect with God or just coming before him in humility, confession of sin to empty ourselves of things. There are different reasons to fast. And it's more common, of course, to fast for the people of God than not to fast. So this is a a good question. We know that Jesus fasted in the wilderness. We've read about that. We know that Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer that we are to fast. So what is the reason for this? Well, the short answer of it is, is this, and then we'll unpack it. It's not the season to fast. That's basically what Jesus is saying. You're right. There's a season to fast. and It's a very important part of a life with God and before God. But this is not the season to fast because he said in verse 15, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So what he does is he paints this picture of something that's very familiar to them and to all of us. And that it's it's the concept of a wedding of a union. Now, fasting, of course, is is not associated with feasting. It's just the opposite. When you fast Usually you have a sad face, you're mourning, you're missing out on something, you're longing for something, you're desiring God to change your circumstances, you're, you're praying that God would deliver you, you're broken over your sin, and so you have sackcloth, 
as that demonstration. You have ashes as a demonstration of of humility and, and just baseness. So it, there, there's a going without you are, There's a deprivation and you're and you're going without food, sometimes symbolic of the things that you need in your life that aren't in your life. And you're praying that God would put these things into your life. So fasting is usually associated with what we might consider doom and gloom. It's sadness. It's not a time to be all happy. It's a time to be hangry. You know, you're hungry and you, you want to eat, but you're not going to eat because you're determined to make some spiritual progress here. And, and, and it's there's an aching in you that you want fulfilled. And Jesus says there's a time for that. But right now is not the time for that. And here's why. Because what's taking place right now in the progress of redemption is that the bridegroom that you had been aching for and longing for and praying for and fasting for that bridegroom that you you shed tears over. He has come. In other words, the answer to your prayers is standing before you. And so now is not a time for you to continue to fast that the bridegroom, that the Messiah, the deliverer would come because here he is. Prayers answer. So now is a time for the wedding feast. Now's a time to celebrate. Get out your dancing shoes. Put on your, your best duds, your, your favorite toga and robe where you can really move because this is a celebration. It's not a season for fasting, but a season for rejoicing and feasting. If you show up for a wedding, and uh, if I show up for this wedding this afternoon that's going to be held on the top of Coal Mountain, if I show up for this wedding and they're there, and of course they're all going to be dressed up, and I show up, and I have sackcloth, and I have dirt all over my face and I try to look as emaciated as possible. My eyes are all swollen from crying over this and they're all just so excited about this new life. I wouldn't fit in. I'd kind of be like, man, party pooper, what are you are out of place? This is the beginning of something exciting and new. Exactly. That's that's Jesus's point. Well, sadly, you know that the scribes didn't make this connection and the Pharisees didn't make this connection because they're really still in darkness. And Jesus makes that clear. But these are John's disciples and they're not in darkness. They're really seeking God. But they didn't make the connection either. Because things really, to, to their defense, things are unfolding quickly here in the kingdom. I mean, this is, they, they just went leaps and, and bounds in the progress of redemption. And their minds and their spirituality hasn't caught up to it yet. So, they're, you know, they're, it's not like they're against it. They just want answers. Whereas usually the scribes and Pharisees attack. You know, they're trying to catch Jesus in something. They mean it for his harm. But I think they have goodwill here. And so they wanted to know what was Going on. And Jesus informs them. Now he does say that. This season. Doesn't last forever. That there is a season. Of fasting that will be instituted again. And we will need to fast again. God's people will need to fast again. So don't throw out your sackcloth. And dump out your ashes. Save them. In this same verse basically. There's a reservation. So where are we now? What season are we in now? Are we in a fasting season as a church in this century or 
have we been misled by all the church leaders and all the people who have said, you got to fast. I mean, have we missed important meals for no reason because we are in a season of feasting and I could have been eating and I'm starving because I was misinformed? What season are we in? Do you fast regularly? Well, we are in a season, of course, of fasting. No, you haven't been been misinformed. You didn't miss any unnecessary meals. They are all very necessary. And we should be regularly fasting. We should be missing things. We should be abstaining for things because in this passage, Jesus says the bridegroom will be taken away. And, of course, we know on this side of it, that's exactly what happened. After he accomplished the victory over sin and death, he was elevated and exalted and taken to the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So he's been taken away. So now now we're in a, in a, in a different season of mourning. Here. Fasting is necessary. And of course, we read we read in the Gospels that the disciples fast later, we read in the book of Acts, they begin to fast. And really, the church has been fasting ever since. Jesus ascended. And we fast now for the Lord to return because we long to have our bridegroom back. With us, not just in spirit, we long to be with him in bodily form. John Piper says the newness of our fasting is this. Its intensity comes not because we have never tasted the wine of Christ's presence, but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by and through the Holy Spirit, and, and we cannot now be satisfied until the commandment, the consummation of that joy arrives, until that joy returns in fullness. We must have all promised as much as possible. So our fasting is to continue now. It's a little different than Old Testament fasting because the Old Testament saints, they were fasting and longing for the Messiah to come. Please send the deliverer, God. We need to be delivered from our sins. We need to be delivered from our enemy, from this brokenness, from this curse. And they they prayed and they fasted and they prayed and they fasted. Well, New Testament saints, see, the bridegroom has come. The Messiah has come. He He accomplished the victory, won the victory on the cross, and now he has ascended. The the process is still in motion. He left the Holy Spirit as a deposit. It hasn't been cashed in yet. The Lord will return again to consummate or implement and consummate another huge leap forward in the progress of redemption. When all things come to an end and are settled eternally. And so... As we fast today, it's both morning and celebration, our life. Our, our fasting is the morning as we look back at the cross and we mourn over our sin and we mourn the death of the Lord. And we, we mourn that we can't be with him and that he's not with us in this season. And we've tasted of, of him now. We're in that already and not yet season where we have the Holy Spirit and God is at work in our hearts and we're seeing the kingdom grow. We're seeing that mustard seed That tree expand and souls are getting saved and we are forsaking sin. And it might be big leaps or small leaps, but the power of God is among us. We're here this morning 
rather than home or wherever else we might be because of the power of God to sustain us, to keep us saved and to put in our hearts a hunger and a thirst. This is kingdom stuff. This is the kingdom of God, real as it gets right here this morning by the power of God. So kingdom things are happening. But this is just a a, a taste of the tremendous feast and the meal of union with Christ that is to come with union with the triune God. Even in a new world, in a new place. So we have enough to keep us hungry. We're we're at the door. We're begging for more of God. And that's what we are as a church. Part of our role as individuals, as disciples and as a congregation, this this outpost here is to come together and hunger for more of Christ because there's more. Now, we don't get them in fullness but fasting plays an important role in bring in manifesting the spirit among us and making things happen in the kingdom. Sometimes we have to we have to fast to make things happen. It, it has its place. So we still are longing for him, but we're also celebrating. We're celebrating what he has accomplished. We're celebrating what he's going to accomplish. So you see, we do both on this side of the cross. It's not the same. I don't know about you, but I've I've tasted Christ. I'm tasting Christ and I want more. I mean, whenever he pushes in, you know, you yield your heart to him. You fight him, fight him, fight him, fight him. Then finally, okay, okay, okay. And then you give him your heart. You you yield a little spot and it's so good. You're like, why didn't I do that before? What is wrong with me? Exactly. We need redeeming. We need saving. We're so hard headed and hard hearted. But the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming and we fast for more and more and more of Christ. But he takes it deeper than that. He doesn't have to here, but he does. And he and he opens the door even wider to see what's going on with these other metaphors. And so he's going to describe what's going on redemptively. And he describes it in very practical terms. He describes it in terms of garments and then. Uh, for those of you that still make moonshine back in the deep, deep woods, you'll understand these illustrations. He's talking about fermentation. So no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment where and worse tear is made. And neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh Wine skins. And so both are preserved. Neither one of them is destroyed with this method. Now, if you know anything about material, then you'll know that this is actually true. That if you take uh, new garments and old material act differently, old material, it's worn, it's tired, it's more susceptible to tears and rips and breaks and things like that. And uh, new material, not so much. And if you wash it, it shrinks. You know, sometimes you guys don't put your favorite piece of clothing in the dryer because you don't want it to shrink because it barely fits now. But if you put it in there, it'll shrink. So he's using something very familiar. And, uh, you know, I, I understood this, too, because in my generation, um, I was the, uh, the patchwork kid. I mean, my mom was patching my stuff all the time. You went out, you played hard, you always slid and you always had holes in your knees. Now, back in that day, it was rude. It was kind of rude, and, and you looked unkept. Now, today, you buy pants that are ripped. Where's Sarah Calloway? She's not here. Sarah Calloway. Anyway, I jump on her because she, 
She bought pants, although didn't pay a lot for. Them. Anyway, they're already holes. They look like you've you got them off of somebody else's kid in the playground. And but I got spankings for that kind of stuff. You know, wasn't allowed. Anyway, mom, she would patch my clothes together, and uh, it, it had to be done with right, or it would shrivel up and it would look kind of funny. But today we're in a throw-out society. If you get a hole in it, throw it out and buy another one. The same thing goes with uh, fermentation. If you ferment anything. Uh, the, the process, you know, there's gases, there's a chemical reaction, and, and it, there's an expansion that's taking place. I mean, it's meant to grow. That's what's happening. Things are growing, especially if you add yeast to it, this process. And then in that day, they literally did have wine skins. Now, we have bottles, but in that day, they would take animals and they would, um, not to gross you out, but uh, it just so happens that on some critters, the area of the neck that goes to the head forms a nice little patch or pouch. Or cone, and you sew up one end, and you have yourself a wine skin. And so they would put um, wine in them and set them to the side while they went through the process of fermentation. But you got to leave room because it, it's definitely going to expand. And if you don't leave room and you go back, it's going to explode. You can't put it in old stuff that doesn't have any give to it anymore. It doesn't have any stretch. I mean, it's it's going to expand. You got to be careful with that stuff. It's explosive, really. You have to be able to ventilate in some in some occasions. So that's the idea here. And what he's explaining is that he, he understands they don't get it yet. Even John disciples are behind the curve here. But what's happening is is incredibly explosive and powerful. The fact that the Messiah has come and instituted his kingdom. It's something new. It's a new paradigm. It's a new way to look at the kingdom. And it's it's explosive. It's powerful. He has come to establish himself. And he is breaking ground that has never been broken before. He's putting the enemy in its in his place. He's changing hearts and ways and minds. He's, the light is shining like it's never, ever shined before. This is huge. And this new work of Christ cannot fit in the old wineskin of doing things. It can't fit in the old wineskin of the sacrificial system, the ceremonial system. It's new. Now, Christ died outside the camp. And now everyone that is a disciple goes all over in the world. I mean, this is a worldwide thing now. You start here in Jerusalem and you, then you go out. It's not like everybody come here it's, and small now. So it's explosive. It's, it's dynamic and it needs growing room. And the old system served its purpose. And now we need to move on. It reminds me of uh, you see rockets shoot up into space and each each stage of that rocket or, or piece of that rocket has a purpose. And the, the engines are what launch you up into space. They get you up there, but once you're there, it breaks off. You don't need that extra weight anymore. In order to go forward to complete your mission and float wherever you're going to float, you got to get rid of the rockets, the engines. And so the, the Old Testament took us up where we needed to be, and now Christ is taking us farther, higher up, further in, in our connection with God in the presence of a holy God. It's incredible what Christ is doing. It so it's it's new wine. It's, it's new skin, it's new material, and the new wine represents the blood of the new covenant. We know that. It's not the animal blood anymore. This is the blood of Christ, fully God and fully man. 
that fully satisfies the wrath of God over every sin that I have committed. All of them are covered. And all of your sins can be covered by the blood of Christ. If you are a disciple of his, he died for you. And it is more than enough. The Apostle Paul's and we tells us and we celebrate this every Easter. How do we know it's more than enough? Because the evidence that God accepted the sacrificial death and the blood of Christ says, yes, it's pure. Yes, it's righteous. Yes, he he fulfilled the law perfectly. My wrath is satisfied. We know this because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He walked out in newness of life. The first fruits of many to come. The blood of the covenants. He died for sins once for all. He rose from the dead one for all. And the spirit has been sent into this world. The spirit of Jesus sent into the world, sent into our hearts, as Kevin reminded us of in his prayer this morning. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the new wine and the old system can't contain it. It'll 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 ruin it. So fasting. But fasting is crucial. We need to fast. We need a hunger. We need to long for the things of God. To leave the things of the world behind. And that's the message. We've tasted of it and we want more. We want all of God's promise. You think God is finished with you yet? You think God is finished with New Covenant Fellowship yet? Are there more promises? Are are there more transformations to take place? We get to be a part of that. You get to watch crusty Pastor Paul yield more to Christ. And I get to watch crusty you do the same thing. Grumpy you do the same thing. I get to watch the fruit of the Spirit be planted in your heart and take off. I've already seen it. I've seen kids that were just little toddlers and and diapers filled up that needed to be changed. And now you guys are this tall and then this tall and this tall. And I see Christ in you. You're not what you used to be as a child. You're yielding your heart to him, kids. I see it in many of you. I see the fruit and how you're serving him. I get to witness that because the kingdom is here and Christ is not finished. It's expanding. It's going out. And fasting is an important part of that because there are times where fasting is necessary to break new spiritual ground. Scripture plainly tells us there are things. Prayer is powerful. Prayers should be a regular discipline. But guess what? There are certain things in the kingdom of God that can be accomplished, accomplished promises fulfilled if you add to your prayers fasting. Sometimes it's fasting that needs to break open the door to push down the wall that all my prayers couldn't push down. The things that we long for and and want for our kids and our family and our lost ones and this church, it may require fasting and seasons of fasting. It's It's an intensification of longing for more and more and more of Christ. It's a powerful thing. And Jesus says, when you fast. It's it's expected. He knows we're going to do it. And if we're not, maybe we just never tasted or we need revival or something. 
If, if we don't long for the things of God, maybe we've grown content with the, the rottenness of this world. We want to see the things of God in our hearts, in each other's hearts, in our marriages, in our families. It just moves on and on and on. So, yeah, fasting and seasons of fasting, it's important. That's why the disciples weren't doing it. We get the best of both worlds. We celebrate the victory, but we also mourn for more because he's not finished yet. He's coming back to consummate all things. But I want to close with, I think there's a treasure in here in verse 15. I just want to unpack for a few minutes. When Jesus, in order to answer this question about fasting, he he lets the cat out of the bag. It's a terrible way to put it. But anyway, well, he flashes his badge. Did you catch it? Maybe you say he flashes his badge because he says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom isn't with them? You know what he's saying? The bridegroom is with you. All the fasting and the longing and the prayers and the crying for the bridegroom, I am he. I have arrived. Your prayer is answered. But he just flashed his badge, if you will, revealed his identity as God. Now, in that, in the Old Testament understanding of teachings, they would understand this immediately because in the Old Testament, God calls or identifies himself as the bridegroom, the husband, and God's people, Israel, are often identified as the wife. And there's this, it's one way to look at the relationship between God and his people, husband and wife. And so they would understand this. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm the God that that has delivered you and taken you and all your forefathers. I'm the God that you've been worshiping. We see this. It's, it's a romantic part. It's the love part of the relationship, I guess you might see. You see it in the whole book of Hosea. You see this illustration. But Jeremiah chapter 2 says this. In the second verse, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. He's reminiscing it's the honeymoon days. It's the early days. I mean, his wife is just longing. To, they're longing to be together. She's longing to be with him. She'll follow him anywhere. It's new. It's romantic. It's beautiful. Until you get to the end of chapter 2. And then here's what he has to say to them in verse 32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments? Or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. So along the way, of course, we know the history of Israel. Along the way, it wasn't so lovey-dovey. It wasn't so relational. There's a lot of backsliding that's taken place. A lot of forgetting. A lot of neglecting the wrong things in favor of what you shouldn't be neglecting. And he asks that question or he... Yeah, he asked a question. Have you ever been to a um, a wedding? And of course, 
wherever they get married, <clears throat> there's going to be decorations. We went to one yesterday. Quincy got rid of his little brother. His little brother's married off now. Quincy's all happy. He's still celebrating inside. And we went up to, have you ever been to a wedding? It's, there's decorations and most of the people that come to the wedding, they're, they're wearing their best, some of their best. And um, of course, say the ceremony's going on and beautiful music's playing. And here's, here comes the, um, the bridesmaids, the groom, the pastor's already up here and they're in their duds. They're waiting. The brides, all of it's in anticipation of the bride. The bridesmaids come up and they're all, they're decked out, beautiful, and they take their place. It's all planned and choreographed and, and it's just a beautiful thing. And you're in the audience and you're, you're just waiting for the bride to come from the back and in, in, in her beautiful dress. And have you ever seen a wedding where all of that takes place and then here comes the bride and her father's leading her up to the altar? And it's like she looks like she just got up. Her hair's all messed up. Not a lick of makeup and she needs it. And this is make believe. This is not true. So uh, and, and flip flops, torn clothes. Just disheveled. Have you have you ever seen that in your life? You haven't. I haven't. Never seen it. If you see a wedding that's sloppy, it's that way on purpose. It's never because the bride doesn't get this far and, and look at. Oh, you're dressed up. Oh, you're. Oh, I should have dressed up. I forgot. The point is. Israel did the absolute unthinkable. And God's saying, does this, does this even happen? Like if you really were planning your wedding day, would you forget your ornaments? No. Listen, there's a difference between guys and girls, femininity, masculinity. And um, all, all cultures are like this. And I know not everybody has the, the Christian view of marriage. But little girls... Um, they long for the, some, some kind of relationship, hopefully a, a, a one man, one woman relationship like the Bible describes. But when they're young and they're they're planning their wedding way in advance. Now, it might change from year to year. I'm going to wear this when they're two. They might be saying, I'm going to wear this. And when they're four, they might be saying, I'm going to wear this or it changes. And uh, but but it's planned to the hilt detail. I'm going to wear grandma's pearls and, and these shoes and this dress. So the, the point is this. It's great effort goes into it because it's very important and you do not forget. And yet God's people forgot him. But there's something really, if you, if you stop thinking about how terrible that is, think about or how bad we are that we forget God, that we cheat on God. Um, anyway, but you think about the bridegroom, you think about God and Christ, how he's describing himself here. It's just incredible, this relationship, the, the love side, the romantic side, the intimacy side of what it means to be a disciple. We're talking about discipleship. What does it mean to you today that Christ identifies himself as your bridegroom? What does that relationship look like? To you. 
Because it's, it's a relationship that sets as the standard. If you think about a beautiful marriage and, and the oneness and the reciprocal love, don't look to Hollywood and divorce court. Look at the standard of Holy Scripture. And even human examples, they have their place in the kingdom. They're important. Human examples of marriage. But if you want to see what it really is supposed to look like, the ultimate standard, look right here. And look at how Christ loves you. You look at that and you will start to understand what marriage is supposed to look like. And he calls himself the bridegroom. But what does that mean? It means that Christ's love for us is a committed love. And even though that whole time Israel cheated on him, left him for other gods, false gods, pieces of wood, and sinned against him, went against the commands, he never stopped loving them. Never stopped being there for them. Never X'd out his plan for them and their beautiful future. Never reneged on a promise that he made them. And all, the, all along they're just sleeping with other people. Now that's commitment. That's steadfastness. And that's what our relationships and our marriages if you're in one or you're hoping to get in one, that's what it's supposed to look like. It's that duty. It's that I am here, period. I'm not going anywhere, period. End the story. And that's good. Now, that's not the whole story because you don't want a spouse who says, yeah, I don't really like you very much, but I'm not going anywhere. You're making my life miserable, but I'm in this for the long haul. I signed the paper and it's at the courthouse and I got the picture and all in. I'm in it. I'm committed and you can count on me. I'll be here in a chair living my life. There's the love aspect of it. There's the romance. There's the, the there's the emotion. There's the feeling. It's it's in action. It's where where there's the adoration. Yes, I'll do this for you. Of course, I'd be glad to do this for you. I noticed that you might need this in your life. How about a word of encouragement? How about an act of kindness? How about uh, physical touch and closeness? This intimacy. You need that, too. That's what you want to be committed to. You can't have one without the other. You can't just have the love. Yeah, I really love you, but I'm not signing anything because I might decide I love somebody else. So right now, just enjoy it while you can get it. And then you might become like that poor girl on notebook. I just love both of you. <laughs> yeah, that's really going to work. And I know you love that romance. It's not real. I just love both of you. Well, who are you going to commit to? Which one of us? Well, I just want both of you. Yeah, that works real good. Only in the movies, right? So it's a committed love. Christ loves us like that. It's a love that completes us. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. And it wasn't good for man to be alone. The idea was there's tension. Everything's beautiful. Now there's tension. Whoa, we got to get rid of this tension. Adam's like, ah, I don't have a, a, a mate. And God says, exactly. Now let's ease the tension, brings Eve to him. And now there's a fulfillment. There's a completeness. There's a wholeness. So a lot of tension in this world without that even to this very day. It's because... What it symbolizes is our relationship with our bridegroom. And you know what? Our hearts are going to be tense. 
And they're going to be anxious. They're going to be restless. They're going to be missing something if Christ is not in them. You're going to go through life like that. I did it for about 19 years. Missing that thing that was out there. And finally, the gospel pointed me to Christ. This is what you need in your life. This is how you put the pieces of the puzzle together. This is what gives you meaning. And now you, now you know why you're here. Now you know what you're supposed to be doing. And, and it matters. And we long for that kind of relationship. You can find it in Christ here this morning if you don't have it. Christ is what your heart longs for and will continue to ache for until you submit your heart to Christ. And it's an exclusive relationship now. God is committed to us. And you think about marriage. It's not fun to be cheating around. Is it fun to be cheated on? It's an exclusive marriage. You got you got mom and dad. You got siblings. You got other relationships and brothers and sisters in Christ. But marriage is exclusive. There's things there that shouldn't happen anywhere else. It's just right in here between you and I. It's intimate. It's interesting to me that our culture has pretty much erased marriage off. It's it's failed. It's defunct. It doesn't work. Nobody stays together anymore. We've moved on from that. It's archaic. And yet. How many headlines do you read in the news where such and such broke up with somebody, they divorced and everybody's up outraged about it. And I'm so angry at them. He he left her and two kids left them. And I'm just upset and I'm up and I want you to be upset with me and then we'll all get upset. Everybody's upset at all the brokenness that's going on. But wait a minute, why are we upset about something that, oh, you mean it's not right to leave? Somebody that you're in a relationship with, it hurts. All the people that they're, they're saying, oh, don't worry about marriage, it doesn't work. They get really upset when their significant other walks out on them. They're hurt over it. So you got all these people out there just mad at each other. Is, is our cultural answer to marriage working? People are more long, they're lonelier. They're more upset and grumpy because God's way is best. It's interesting. Where is this? Why? Where does the concept even come from? Why would they even get upset that a man walked out on his wife? Like it's like there's something wrong about it. There is. Why? Where do you get that idea? I would I submit to you that we're created in the image of God and that we have truth and knowledge in part. We suppress it. We're in darkness, but because we're creating the image of God, the reality is there and we can see parts and bits, pieces of it. And therefore, we have a, a little idea of right and wrong across the globe. There are things that any culture can put their hand on. That's just wrong, no matter what religion you are or no religion at all. And one of them is when people say they're together and they're committed and then one of them just ditches somebody for another person or whatever out of selfishness. And we say that's wrong. I would submit to you it's because we know it's not supposed to be like that. Because God's holy, God's perfect, God is loving. And what we really long for is a relationship that will just go on and on and on. That's committed and romantic and loving, satisfying and fulfilling. That's Christ. Christ never cheats on us. He never walks out on us. And he basically says, I have loved you. I have given you everything. I gave you everything I had. I'm sharing it with you. I get I'm giving I spilled my blood for you so you can be with me because you can't be with me without it. 
I breathed my last breath for you on the cross. Because I want to be with you. I give you my body. I give you everything. I give you my spirit. I give it all. Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's reasonable. Give yourself to me, all of you. That's the kind of intimate relationship that Christ longs for. And he comes into our lives and he adorns us. He makes us beautiful. He rubs off on us, so to speak, his, his holiness and his beauty. And he softens our heart. The idea is that God softens our hearts more and more. So we just trust him. We just trust him and not be so holding back. Yes, I give this to you. I give this area to you. And we get his approval through Christ. So, yeah, Jesus is our master, but he's not just our master. Jesus is our king, but he's not just our king. Jesus is our servant, but he's not just our servant. He's our helper, but he's not just our helper. And he's our savior, but he's not just our savior. Jesus is our bridegroom. Enjoy him. Celebrate him. And fast and long for more of him. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.